a child is born. To us, a son is given. And to the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. All right, would you open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 2. Merry Christmas. Glad you guys are here this morning. Let's start with the reading of his word, and then we'll bow for prayer. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There were shepherds living out of the fields nearby, and they were keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's pray. Father, we need peace this time of the year. (laughs) You know how hectic and crazy uh, the Christmas season can be. Uh, Not much different than it was for your son as he came into this world. I invite you this morning to come and bring your peace to this place. There are so many of us who desperately need it. We know the same is true for Calvary Baptist Church. And just ask you to please bless the disciples that are gathered there. You know who are yours. Uh, Fill their hearts with peace and help them, Father, like us, be not just peace takers, but peacemakers. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Tuesday night's Christmas walk was worth the effort. And there are a lot of things in my life that I've tried that are not. Trying to develop a taste for Brussels sprouts, not worth the effort. (laughs) Amen. Deep frying your own turkey at Thanksgiving for the sportsmen's, not worth the effort. As low as they charge now to change oil, not changing the oil in my car anymore, not worth the effort. The last Star Wars movie, (laughs) not worth the effort. Appreciating rap music, not worth the effort. Trying to learn to to like video games. For me, not worth the effort. Now, I know I'm losing credibility with some of you on some of these. All right, I get it. But I'm just trying to keep it real. And for some of you, those things are worth the effort. But I'm telling you, for me, they aren't. But one thing it was, was Tuesday night's Christmas walk. Found out that it's been going on for over 30 plus years here in our community. It was well worth the effort. 
I turned down speaking at their services last year, but I gave them a rain check and I said, call me, and they sure enough they did. And so I, I helped launch the Christmas walk at the First Baptist Church. <clears throat> As much as you know that I'm an advocate for unity in the, in the body of Christ, we pray for different faith families that are trying their best to follow Jesus like we are every single week here at KCC. But I just had never been to this event. I think primarily because of, you understand, the schedules just get packed and you think one more thing to just put in there just doesn't fit and it, it, it hadn't. We just hadn't gone. But if you want to experience... <laughs> What it means for five different faith families to celebrate what they agree on over than fuss about what they don't, give this one a try. It really is impactful. And whether they ask me to, to speak again, I, it really doesn't matter. We're going to do our best to try to be there next year. It was just that good. Church of Christ speakers spoke at a Baptist church. A Catholic spoke at a Presbyterian church. A black Baptist spoke at a predominantly white assembly of God. A retired Baptist preacher spoke at Episcopalian Church. And to top it all off, a Lutheran spoke at a Catholic church. Now that had to have made God smile. For those of you who've forgotten your church history, almost 500 years ago, Martin Luther, an Augustine monk in the Catholic order, he nailed his famous 95 theses on the door of a Catholic church in rebellion. He said, enough. No more. In regards to what? Well, two things primarily. One were the practice of what they called indulgences. Literally, the business transaction of paying for grace in the church. If you wanted grace, if you wanted forgiveness, it was going to cost you money. You paid the priest and he gave it to you. And Martin Luther said, not on my watch. Unacceptable. And the other thing that was going on during that time was traditions in the church had become greater than had more influence than the scripture itself. And Martin Luther said, not on my watch. And he nailed those theses to the door. And the Reformation, as we know it, was launched. And it was ugly. Battle lines were drawn. People were arrested. People were killed over how you could be a Christian. The Lutherans and the Catholics were the Hatfields and McCoys. It was a major feud. And so Tuesday night to see a Lutheran preaching in a Catholic church just, just made me smile. You know what? None of those five churches that we visited were apologizing for some of the differences that we have. But we rather applauded and embraced the agreement that we have on some significant things. Here are just a few. That it's the same Jesus who was birthed via a teenage virgin's womb is our Lord. That he hung on the cross for our sins. That he was raised by God. That he left his Holy Spirit with us to lead and direct us through his word. And that he's coming back for all who are eagerly wanting him to come home. And to take us home. Every church we visited holds those truths as absolutely core to their faith. It's amazing how fast it all went. The walk is scheduled from 5.30 to 8.30, but it seemed like it went in about an hour. You're only in each church about 20 minutes, but then you're walking and enjoying the, the Christmas air. Hopefully it's not the rain. I actually said it's rarely ever rained on those Christmas walks. We had a great time with some of our folks here, and it was just a blast, 20 minutes in each spot. But what a great, just a great time to remember the reason for the season together with other Christians. 
We were on our way and one of our sisters looked up to me and she said, what are the odds that someone could have come on this walk tonight and not realize that these people love Jesus every bit as much as we do? And I told her, slim to none. And that's exactly what about 300 people told me when I asked them at First Baptist Church on Sunday. I said, what do you think the odds are that these five preachers tonight actually can keep their talks to 12 minutes and the church said, slim to none. And the reason why they did is, Martin, because I coached them, but also because I asked them to do that. Like I'm going to ask you this morning to join me in using that phrase, all right? So say it with me, slim to none. That's a phrase that my dad used. Um, he'd use it often when I would ask a question that he didn't really want to say no to, but the odds of it happening were like... Dad, do you mind if I borrow the car this week and could I have 20 bucks? And he would say, that's what the odds were. He said, what are the odds if I could go fishing with my buddies this week and skip mowing the grass? Okay, you're catching on. A couple of more questions and we'll be done with that. Um, what are the odds of this gray hair turning back to its natural shade of brown? Oh, I didn't even put my hand out there, folks. What are the odds of me actually scoring my first hole-in-one in 2015? You've seen me play, right? What are the odds that my first sermon preached in Kerrville four and a half years ago was not at a Church of Christ but at First Baptist Church? Yeah. And God would tell you he likes those odds. But the truth is, that's exactly where I preached my first sermon in Kerrville. Through a strange series of events that I'm not going to take us through this morning, after I had completed my last week with Oak Hills in Fredericksburg, the very next week, that's where I preached my first sermon in Kerrville. Guess who was sitting in the audience? Several of our elders from this Church of Christ. Now, what are the odds of that? Yeah, yeah, slim to none. But they were there. And it was a couple of months later that they invited me to come be uh, the senior teaching minister of this church. And i got to tell you, folks, I've loved it. Still do. And I ask you to continue to pray for us as we serve alongside this church. But it still stuns me when I think my first sermon preached in Kerrville was at the First Baptist Church. Our God loves to take odds that are slim to none and flip them upside down. Literally flip them on side, upside down in the head. He loves to defy them. They were the same odds that God used when he called a man by the name of Moses, a murdering fugitive from Egypt, to lead millions of free laborers out of Egyptian bondage and into freedom and take with them one-tenth of that nation's wealth on their backs. The same odds of a nation of slaves defeating an established world power by the name of the city of Jericho by just walking around that incredible city and then shouting, the same odds of a shepherd boy by the name of David defeating the professional giant Goliath with just a stone. Or Daniel remaining alive all night long in a lion's den. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being furnace-proof. What are the odds of that happening, church? Say it with me again. Yeah, slim to none. After watching Jesus grow up in an ordinary carpenter's home, I can guarantee you, you ask his brothers and sisters because the Scripture records this, you ask his neighbors... Can you see this young man who's worked on your ox yokes, who's played dreidel with your children? Can you see Jesus 
This ordinary guy becoming the extraordinary Savior of the world and the Messiah, and they would have said, slim to nut. That would be the odds. Slim to nut. And what are the odds that that same common carpenter would ask men to follow him as their rabbi and they would leave their jobs and their family and say yes? That those 12 men would watch this same ordinary carpenter help cripples run again and deaf hear again and the blind see again and the dead live again. What are the odds of that? Slim to nut. And what are the odds that any man in this sin-filled world could live so true to God he would never... Never be guilty of a single sin, not with his mouth, not with his heart, and not with his actions. What are the odds of that, church? And what are the odds that this man would predict how he would die, predict who he would be responsible for for that death, and the length of time he would stay dead, and when he would come back to life? What are the odds of that? Yeah. But you know what God says? I'll take those odds. Every time. And watch what I can do with it. Every time. And you know what boggles my mind? is not that those events actually happened. It does. And that God left us to try and figure out what they actually could mean. And He could have. But that they were actually written down and predicted, foreseen, foretold hundreds of years before any of that happened. Now that stuns me. That they just happened would be stunning enough, I think, for some people. But here's the thing that even non-believers have to deal with. Do you realize what I just talked about is not just historical, but it was recorded historically before it ever happened over here, that it would happen hundreds of years before Jesus ever lived out any of those things. Now that stuns me. The odds of that are slimmer and nunner, all right? Predicting it hundreds of years. Let me tell you the mathematical equivalent of it, all right? Peter Stoner, who is a statistician, estimates the probability of just eight, just eight prophecies being fulfilled in any one person's lifetime would be the equivalent of, and I love this word picture, you take the state of Texas and you fill that state two feet deep with silver dollars, all right? And on one of them, you put a mark. And you take and you throw that thing out into the pile. The odds of us finding that one silver dollar with a mark on it on the first try are the same odds of any one human being having eight prophecies fulfilled in his life. And Jesus fulfilled 300. Written down hundreds of years before he ever came. That's stunning to me. Stunning to me. We would say in Kerrville, the odds of that happening are slim to none. John Risher knows those odds. You may have seen him before. John's a statistician for the University of Virginia football games. He's been doing his job for the team since 1963, and he still uses his pencil and paper to keep stats on the team. And he's the most accurate statistician they have. He's 106 years old. Now, I know that stuns somebody because he's only look a day over 99, right? The guy's 106 years old. His driver's license is cleared for him to drive till he's 108. He was married to his wife for over 50 years, but she's been gone now for over 20. 
he was asked by the New York Times author that I got this information from, do you still date? <laughs> he said, well, I'll tell you. It was tough getting dates in my 90s, but at 106, it's near impossible. <laughs> I love that. We would say in Kerrville, the odds of that happening are, there you go. But God defies those odds, doesn't he? Remember when he took a couple that was 100 years old, never had had a child? Their names were Abraham and Sarah. And he said, watch this. And Isaac was being pushed around in a stroller. God loves to take on the odds of slim and none. And you need to hear that, friend. Because some of you are thinking, let's leave that on John there for a minute. Some of you are thinking, those are the odds of me and my husband making it together as husband and wife into 2017. Some of you need to be reminded of that because some of you are thinking, those are the odds of me ever finding a Christian mate who will love me and my kids. Those are the odds of some of you thinking that you can actually break free from this addiction that's had you in its grips now for about two years, three years, and you haven't been able to let go of it. Those are some of the odds that some of you think you're facing because you just can't see how you could ever lose the weight or find the courage to share your faith or start trusting again or going public with a dream that's always been private or coming clean with the guilt and shame that's plagued you for years and years and years. It feels like the odds are slim to none. And so I want to encourage you this morning with the truth that I've just shared so far, based not just on the birth of Jesus, but on the life of Christ, I wouldn't bet against this guy and his ability to turn your life upside down. Instead, let me encourage you, put your hope in him, will you? Because when the God of heaven makes a promise, the odds of failure are, help me out, slim to none. It's the truth. When God says he has a greater interest in your faith, than even you have. When God says, I will, I will work harder at getting you to heaven than even you have to. Hear his word on that. He is strong, he says in Jude chapter 1 and verse 24. And he can help you not fall. He can bring you before his glory without wrong in you and he can give you great joy. Church, do you know what the odds are that he didn't mean that? Slam the nut. Now, if you believe that you're unique and struggling with the temptation or forgiveness or struggling with offering peace to someone for whom you've been at odds with, that you think there's no way out of this, that you're the only person, please remember this promise from Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And I'm telling you, God's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now I want to ask you, church, what are the odds that God really didn't mean that? He means it. He means it. Every one of you who thinks they've reached the dead end on something, He will provide a way out. And finally, if you've walked in here stressed out and anxious because you think that God is holding out on you, that there's something good for you and a blessing for you that you could handle, but He's not providing it because He's mad at you. Can I just share with you one more promise? And here it is. If God is for us, what would He ever hold against us? What could ever stand against us? 
If He didn't withhold from you His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? What a great promise. Now what are the odds are that He was just kidding when He made that? Slim to none. Slim to none. God loves it when we talk like that. But do you know what He would rather? That this Christmas season that you would live like that in the fullness of all of those promises. Now, that's where my talk at the Baptist Church stopped and I made it inside 12 minutes, didn't I, Debbie? Now, what are the odds of me stopping there now? <laughs> Slim the nun. And you'd be right. Because I've got more than 12 minutes here, but I've only got a little bit more to actually share with you. This is our second week of exploring what you've heard maybe off and on throughout your life here on earth when you've bumped into Christians, this season called Advent. It started with the lighting of a candle of hope last week and talking about that in incredibly difficult waiting each of us has to experience at some time in our life on something, but trusting that's involved with it, putting our hope in someone who has the credentials to deliver what he's promised. We talked about hope. We talked about the visual of light that, that God has not only shown into our lives, but asked us to be for other people. This week we're looking at the second candle of Advent, the, the candle of peace. The candle of peace, which is kind of an interesting candle. <laughs> because as Christmas draws near, I think, for many of us, this season of the year is anything but peaceful. The demands of travel... The conflict between this long list of presents that I need to buy and this short amount of money that I've got to buy them with. Family members you're disappointed can't come and be with you. Family members that you're disappointed you can't go be with. All of that can be incredibly trying, incredibly stressful. Probably not unlike the first Christmas 2,000 years ago. And the good news is that God has come to bring all this today is just as Jesus was born in the midst of those troubled times, He wants to be born into yours today. So, I want to invite you, would you just please relax? Just relax. His hands are big enough. They really are. And I found this visual and I said, oh, i got to show that to the family. Because that's who I want to be. We've talked all morning long about the credentials he has to be those hands, haven't we? He's got the credentials to handle everything in your life. You know that. Walk in it. No, first of all, savor it. Savor the peace that comes by just knowing, Dad's got this. Now, you may not have had a dad in this life who you could just exhale and breathe and know, covered, handled. But I'm inviting you to follow a father, not just in this season, but all the time, who's got you covered, who has you in his hands. Just savor that kind of peace. Don't just sip it. Don't just come to church on Sunday morning. I'm inviting you. Spend some time savoring the fact that you and God are at peace with each other. Because I think some of you are worried he's really kind of upset with you. Let me remind you of where he took all that anger and bitterness out on, all right? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 says this, For it was through what His Son did that God cleared a path for everything to come to Him, all things, 
in heaven and on earth. For Christ's death on the cross has made peace with God for all by His blood. For all. For all. There on the cross, He poured out all of His wrath so that He didn't have to pour it out on you. And so if you are in Christ, my friend, remember the truth of that. God and I are good. We're good. Now, I mean, he may allow some struggles and some, some difficulties in my life to grow me and stretch me, but I could, I could even stop and say thank you for those because I know Dad's just is loving on me. Maybe some tough love, but he's loving on me. I can even savor that, all right? There's going to be an adversary that's going to say, no, doubt that. His name is Satan. His actual name means adversary. And I don't know about you, but I've experienced him this week speaking his lies into my mind. You blew it, ruined it, messed it up, failed too many times, misspoke too many times, didn't deliver too many times. It's over. There's no way that, that he's going to hang on to you. There's no way that he's going to hold you. There's no way he's going to come through for you. I don't know how you, Paul encourages us to take those thoughts captive. But for me, it was getting out that thankful journal that we're in. Four weeks now. That this church has decided we're going to spend some time seeing what Thanksgiving can mean as far as being this bridge of, of some of the life that God wants us to enjoy. But I'm going to tell you, I went four days this week without putting anything in my thankful journal. And I got to Saturday, and man, I started writing them down. Ten, fifteen, thirty of them. And I'm just speaking for me as a testimony. Peace came back. It's just one of the ways in which the peace that's mine becomes reality again in my life. And I want to encourage you, please continue in the journey with us, all right? Savor his peace, but share his peace, all right? Share his peace. Don't just be a peace taker. Be a peacemaker. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 will be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Folks, have you noticed how much unpeace is in our world? Just in our own households? Just within ourselves? So much unpeace. And the Bible says this, those of you who've received peace, who own this peace now, who serve the Prince of Peace, would you please, as much as it depends upon you, would you share it? Please? Now, the adversary is going to come again, I promise you, and he's going to say, well, yeah, right. Your efforts, your influence, <laughs> no way. Don't believe him. Don't believe him because Jesus is right here in this yoke with you saying, come on, come on, extend a little forgiveness here. Come on, just, just believe the, the benefit, give him the benefit of a doubt. Come on, step in here and, and do your best to kind of quiet this fuss down a little bit. I'll help you. Please, don't just receive this peace this Christmas. Let's do something with it, all right? And to help us kind of encourage us in that direction, Matthew West is going to sing to us. Listen. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble. Now I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. 
thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven. Sometimes God will just drop that opportunity right in your lap. Uh, February, I told you about an event that happened. It was the third accident that had happened in our life um, in less than 21 days. 
I was driving home from uh, San Angelo, and um, I was doing about 65, maybe 70 miles an hour just outside of uh, Eden, and uh, someone came up from behind me doing 100 miles an hour and hit me. Just knocked me into the other traffic, slid two or three times, but able, was able to get it back under control, and we both pulled over, and you know the story. Um, I actually acted as a speed bump for that young man's life. Uh, him hitting us saved them from going off to this horrendous area that would have just, there's just no way that a human being could have survived that. I'm preaching at First Baptist Church, get done with this message, and I sit down, and the driver of that car comes walking up to the front. Tuesday night. Tuesday night. What I haven't told you guys since then was, is um, just through some weird circumstances, that man who had hit us had an insurance card that night, but he actually didn't have insurance. It actually belonged, the car belonged to his wife, and it was an uninsured vehicle. And so we had been involved in months of hassle as of till about three weeks ago with people coming after us uh, for that, the money of paying for that rental car that we happened to be in. When we had insurance at the time, and supposedly it was his fault and all that goes with that, it, it looked like Gail and I were going to be out several thousands of dollars to get that vehicle repaired. I was not a happy camper about any of that. Not the stress, not the hassle. And so when the service was over, here he comes walking down the aisle. What are the odds of that happening? God said, while you're preparing for this lesson on peace, would you mind if I use you for a minute here and be a peacemaker? He said, how are things going? And I said, well, <laughs> great. Now, I said, you didn't have insurance when you ran into us. I said, man, that has really cost us on top of nearly losing our lives and the difficulty we had been through already with a couple of car accidents. I said, it just really brought some huge frustration and difficulty in our house and I just want you to know I forgive you for all of that and I'm grateful that you're standing here today and I said God put you in my life to teach me a lesson and me sharing that story maybe can teach you one who is it that right now he's putting in your your life your lap that you can make peace with but you're just not taking the opportunity to do so you're wanting to be a peace receiver and not a peace giver. Come on, what do you say? Let's do something, all right? may not look pretty. I'm not sure it was all that pretty tonight, but we embraced and we hugged and we laughed and then we, we did some of the Christmas walk together, had some cookies at the Catholic Church together. It just was great. Jimmy can't pull that off, but the Prince of Peace can, who's inside Jimmy. And he can do that in you if you'll just do something. Father in heaven, we come to you closing this sermon asking you, please, send peace into our lives. Thank you for sending the Prince of Peace. Thank you for putting your spirit inside of us that offers us peace. But Father, you know we struggle to be a people of peace. We live in such anxiousness and worry and stress all the time. Would you please, today, do a work in us through this word that you've brought to us. Would you please help us here? Just exhale. Just breathe. And receive your peace this morning. But please help us to leave here being peacemakers.
to bring that light into a world of darkness where there's so much chaos, so much stress, so much anxiety. But we ask it humbly in the name of Jesus Christ, who we know loves slim to none odds and loves to defy them. In his name we praise you and the church said, Amen. We're going to stand and sing a song of praise and encouragement to each other and to God. And if we're, anybody here wants to be baptized into Christ, please come find me. Anybody here would like for us to, to put their hands around them and be a part of that yoke with Christ to help you be the peace of Christ somewhere in this community? We want to do that. Let's sing, church. Let's praise Him.